From Relay FM, this is Connected. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Igloo. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Federico Vitici. Hi, Federico. Ciao, Mike. Ciao, Federico. And howdy, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Greetings from the South. Howdy, y'all. Wow. <laughs> wow, nice accent, Mike. I need to address something. A, a horrible Uh-oh. travesty. Okay. <laughs> so after we recorded last week's episode, oh, within God, yes. 10 minutes, yes, we had news that we would have definitely wanted to discuss on the show. And also mm-hmm. an entire topic was completely invalidated by some, it happens by some follow-up news. It, it was within 10 minutes, Google Docs on the iPad Pro came out, which we'll talk about in a second, and Flexbrite got pulled from the App Store. Mm-hmm. That was great. That was just a great way to to post a show. So I posted the show. Some people may have seen the beautiful spelling error of Rick text instead of rich text. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And then all the news went went wrong. So Stephen, never leave us again because it's clearly the only thing that changed is you weren't here, and then everything yes. everything went to hell basically. Y- yeah, I was uh, I was ill, <laughs> not faking as some people suggested. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so this this Flexbrite app um turns out not so much allowed and uh it was pulled. Uh, you know, it's you, and you guys spoke a lot about this in the last episode about like what does working with Apple mean? Um it means it doesn't exist. That's what it means. <laughs> it means you get pulled from the app store for breaking the rules. My my sort of big question for this, so we see this sometimes, right? We see an app that in the old days would add tethering or you know something like this, something clearly uh, outside of what Apple wants in the app store. And I always wonder, like, if the press makes that worse. So, like, if this if this app had had no press, could they just exist in the app store forever? Um, or because it was on the front page of Mac Rumors, someone at Apple was like, "Oh, that's not cool," and then went and pulled the trigger. Um, there's no really way to know the answer to that, right? It's a very chicken and egg problem. But I, I always, I always just think about that when you see some big high pro- profile thing come out and then it's gone in eight hours. I don't know, but it's gone. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, it getting noticed by the press is what made the app die. Yeah, it's not good because it got through, right? Like they didn't put it back through for another review. It got into the store, and then MacRumors puts it on the front page, does a little interview with them. And then Apple's like, and then just pulls it out. Not not happy. Yeah, and and the best the best part is uh, whenever stuff like this happens, there's people on Twitter. They're like, yes, this is Tim Cook's Apple. You know, this is change. Uh, Apple is changing. And of course, two days later, the app is gone. <laughs> so, same old, you know, same old, basically. This may be Tim Cook's Apple, just not for app review, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? If you think about it, there's Night Shift coming out in, you know, maybe next week. And the app is clearly, you know, not as good as Night Shift. And I could have understood the motivation. You know, we want to give people with older iPhones access to this to this kind of feature. But it, it just was so weird. And, you know, the developers saying, we work with Apple. And, and the motivation that they gave to Mac Rumors, uh, it was along the lines of, well, we didn't necessarily use private APIs. It was, you know, our own framework, uh, which is a public framework built on top of APIs that developers cannot use, which means, yes, we were using private APIs just in a fancy way. So we were hoping not to get caught, but, you know, whatever, we got caught. Maybe next time. <laughs> Did you see this tweet from Amar? Basically, Flexbrite taking like 69% 
battery yes. as background yes. activity. <laughs> not not really not what you want at all. Uh, his second is PDF Expert. He's a he's a, a power user making those PDFs on his iPad. But um, I just I chuckled when I saw that screenshot. Clearly, this app was not well designed and and not something Apple wants around. Yep. Speaking of apps that aren't well designed. Uh, we talked about this a second ago. Google Docs got updated for the iPad Pro. I'm going to put that in scare quotes because... That, that was um, such a good segue. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Very well done. Very well done. I mean, iPad Pro support with a very big footnote here. Yeah. yeah it, so it, it supports the larger screen now, right? So mm-hmm. you don't get like the enormous um, like toddler-sized keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um but there's still nothing that we actually want. So no slide over, no split view. It's halfway there, right? So somebody who's still using Google Docs every day, it's way nicer now. Like, I'm I'm very sure. happy that they did this. I want them to go the whole way, naturally, and go for split view, which I think, you know, I'm still holding on to the hope that it will happen, uh, but we're not there yet. So, like, it's a step in the right direction, uh, but it's... Still a few steps behind, which prompted Federico uh, to rain hellfire and brimstone upon Google uh, in a little piece on Mac Stories. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous, really. Uh, you know, a company the size of Google taking this many months to 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 finish what, what has to be the final product, which is you know proper iOS apps with iOS nine features. It's now mid-March, and they're only starting now to have, you know, multitasking support and full-resolution support on the iPad Pro. And in general, uh, there's a John Gruber tweet uh, that he sent me, you know, with the comment that we cannot quote on, mm-hmm. on the show, uh, but basically saying that the Google's uh, iOS apps are not really good, and I'm paraphrasing here. Um and I, and I truly believe that Google has been going downhill when it comes to what they offer on iOS. They used to make, I mean, they, they make pretty amazing web services. Whatever you think about, you know, Google and privacy, I think it's undeniable that Google makes solid web services and I use them every day and I depend on Google services. And some iOS apps are decent or that I say good apps, such as Google Maps, for example, even if it lacks some of the features on Android, it's a good iOS app. But the majority of Google apps on iOS have really seen a decline in terms of quality and in terms of feature adoption uh, with the latest iOS versions. Uh, I don't talk about it, but even if you look at the Google Calendar app for iOS, it's only an iPhone app, and it doesn't really use you know uh, any iOS interface paradigm, which is not new, uh, but I mean, it doesn't have an iPad version, uh, and it lacks so many of the features of Google Calendar on the web. And you can see this in many, many Google apps, YouTube, Google Docs, uh, Google Chrome was even, you know, it doesn't have many of the features that I want to see in a browser. It's a very sad state. And, and a lot of people say, well, it's not in Google's interest to make uh, solid iOS apps because Google is a web company. And to that, I respond that it, to, uh, based uh, at least my opinion is, Google is a company that wants users to 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 use their services as much as possible uh, to collect data to make better services to feed you know the AI that they use with more data and to not have a solid iOS ecosystem is ultimately detrimental to Google's uh, you know very business which is to have as many users as possible collect data make better services sell advertisements and. I believe that having, you know, a, a native iOS experience is key to that, you know, business strategy. 
I think that their apps got really good, um, and there's still points where they are good. I think Chrome is very good. Um, I use it every day, and I have no problems with it at all. Um, and Chrome is one of their apps that they actually update pretty quickly. Um, it's had split view for a long time. I think it was like a couple of weeks after multitasking came out, it got split view, and uh, it looks great on the iPad Pro. I think that is an app which I do like, and I think it works well. And and they have other apps, like the Drive app was updated with split view again very quickly. They just seem to have these weird pockets where it's falling behind, and I wish I wish we knew why. Um, there's obviously a reason. I don't know what that reason is, but at this point, it's a shame to see because for a while, you know, Google were making some of the best apps on iOS and something something's changed and we cannot see what that is. Before we move to the next follow-up item, um, I have a favor um, to ask you guys. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was contacted privately by a friend of mine, Luca. Uh, he's uh, one of the Italian co-hosts of uh, Easy Apple, one of my favorite Italian podcasts. And he asked me today, and I and I'm quoting here to put an end to the pineapple pizza travesty on relay. Oh no! So I I need you guys to tell me what's going on with pineapple pizza. What what is pineapple pizza? So this is a conversation that's mainly occurring on upgrade right now. Jason's favorite pizza is pineapple and pepperoni. Um, and John Syracuse on last week's episode of Upgrade mm -hmm. told. Jason, that that's ridiculous and that uh -huh. uh, basically Hawaiian pizza, which is ham and pineapple, is the closest that you can get to being real pizza and having pineapple on it, but it's still on the fringe. But mm -hmm. now I, this weekend, am going to make and consume pineapple and pepperoni pizza. So that's kind of where we are with it. Thing is, this is, a, this is not your pizza, although I'm pretty sure I saw Hawaiian pizza in Palermo. Um, I actually think I had one. So, it's one of those things that they do for the tourists that came. That I came had it at that local pizza store that I told you about, where Italian people were queuing up. It exists. Uh, I can just say, God bless John Syracuse because he, mm -hmm. he sees the light. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, I can let you guess my my stance on pineapple pizza, and you know these types of uh, Americanism uh, that that we see in Italian food. Uh, but it's a different um, thing, uh, though, right? I mean, I, I, what? If, okay, what if I come up with an idea and it's like, let's make you know beef ice cream? Is that really ice cream? Sure, it is. But it's some. It's, okay. it's for somebody else's interpretation on it. Mm, if you're making okay. like, if you're freezing cream and flavoring it with beef, it's just beef flavored <laughs> ice cream, right? Like this is just pizza with different toppings on it. I guess. I guess. Well, you know, we live in a in a democracy, so mm -hmm. everyone's entitled to their taste. I mean, some tastes are wrong, but you know, whatever. Uh, I don't get too upset. I'll tell you what, Mike. Yeah. Because I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a person with an open mind. Uh huh. When we get together, uh huh. Me and you and Steven and Jason, uh, I will taste pineapple pizza. It's surprisingly good. Okay. The sweetness and the saltiness, it works really well together. I'll tell you what, I'm open to tasting pineapple pizza. Okay. So I don't fully condemn pineapple pizza for now. All it's right. not, I'm, I'm not ecstatic about the idea, but I'm open to tasting pineapple pizza. So this will be long-term follow-up for like in yes. a few months time or something. In, in a few months and we'll chronicle uh, the experience 
with uh, with videos and, and photos. And we can so finally we'll put this to bed. Yes. What else do we have on the follow-up docket? I, I was just going to say real quick, um, I'm really proud that the business that you and I have built is the um, preeminent podcast network for all things pizza. And it's not a goal we set out to have. But it's ATP, a goal that that's what we should call the, the network now. All things pizza, right? I don't think that's it. Oh, yeah. ATP? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll just buy that domain right now. Okay, great. ATP.FM, all things pizza. No, no, you, you no. Why don't you buy ATP.pizza, one of those new TLDs? Does it exist? <sighs> Let's see. ATP.pizza. I don't think there is dot a dot pizza. Pizza. No, there has to be. Come on, there's dot, dot plumber. Hang on, new dot pizza domains. It looks like some people are saying that it exists. A new pizza domain names. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing, Mike. Wow. Can we get dot AT? pizza. So what would we would we get at dot pizza though? AT, Not atp AT. dot pizza because then it'd be all, all things, things pizza, pizza dot pizza. Which... <laughs> all things pizza pizza. <laughs> 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 we'll see. We'll see. Uh, uh, we'll we'll do our research on dot pizza domain. Excellent domain names. Yeah. Excellent. So the next item is a little bit follow-up, a little bit mini-topic, but um, it it came up, and I think it was interesting to all three of us because we, um, <clears throat> at least two of us, own both of these products. Um, Sonos had a blog post last week um, that is unfortunately full of business speak, but I think what's happening is that they're laying off some people and they are interested in voice technology. They actually call out, uh, the Amazon Echo, um, specifically in this blog post, saying, "Hey, you know, we think there's some interesting um, stuff going in here with uh, the power of voice control and some home automation stuff." And, and basically, what I think is happening is that Sonos is making some sort of um, uh, change in direction, some sort of pivot from just high-end sound system stuff that's smart to something that is a little more. Um, intelligent about the world around it and there's been lots of suggestions that maybe they're going to partner with amazon and somehow uh have alexa like as a service on top of the sonos speakers um i still think it's crazy that apple hasn't looked at sonos but i don't know Uh, federico i was specifically curious what you thought about this owning both i mean (laughs) there's a big gap in things like sound quality between alexa Mm -hmm. and the sonos systems but at the same time, like it is kind of interesting to think, like what could an Echo be like with really good speakers built in? Yeah, uh, I've been thinking about these blog posts because it's very confusing, um, and I and I struggle to understand what they were trying to say. So my first idea was maybe Sonos should just uh, work to be like a, like a, a third party service that is supported by the Amazon Echo. Um, I don't know if that's what they want to do because the idea that I get from the post is that they want to try to be like to build more intelligent speakers. So they want to create their own Amazon Echo. Um, I would love to have an Echo that sounds like my Sonos uh, just because, you know, the convenience of the Echo. uh, I'm using it so much and I'm using it so much to play music that because of that convenience, I'm not using the Sonos as, as much as I used to in the, you know, in the couple of weeks that I had the Sonos but didn't have the Amazon Echo. So I, I think I would love to have an Amazon Echo that sounds better like the Sonos. I don't know if Sonos can make uh, you know, a service, a system that is as intelligent as Amazon you know, uh, with Alexa. 
I don't know if Sonos is the kind of cloud company that can, you know, ship the kind of uh, AI. And I know that I, I mean, my Sonos is in the living room. I'm not using it much these days because I'm playing uh, Spotify with the, with Alexa all the time. So I don't know what I'm going to do with the Sonos because it's just sitting there catching dust. Uh, and I'm constantly asking Alexa to play music and, you know, to do all kinds of other things that we've talked about before. So in theory, I would love to use the Sonos with Alexa. But in practice, that's not going to happen anytime soon, I guess. And I don't want to buy a new Sonos, even if they come up with some kind of, you know, assistant Sonos speaker, uh, like two months from now, which I'm skeptical about, but, you know, uh, just trying to imagine here. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I don't know if Sonos can do it. I just know that I'm listening to music with the Amazon Echo and I love the experience. The speaker is not great, but it's good enough, you know? Yeah, I think I come down basically the same place that, I mean, the Sonos sounds so much better, but Alexa is so much more useful as an as a piece of technology in my home that I'm willing to make that trade-off. And um, I think that, I think that ultimately a company like Sonos is going to need something smarter in their product, right? That it may not be enough just to have something that sounds really good. And of course, they're doing a lot of a lot of cool stuff with the uh, all the streaming uh, and services and everything. And they go into that in that blog post. But I think ultimately, as we move for- forward, um, there's going to need to be some sort of uh, voice control or integration with other things to really have a speaker like this earn its keep at least in my house and I think in a lot of people's houses. So uh, I'm curious to see what they do here. You know, it's, it's obviously um, hard to read any time that, that a company has layoffs. And um, uh, But if they can make whatever decisions they need to make and move forward from this, then I think ultimately that's good. And I do like Sonos. I like them as a company. I like their products. Um, so I think it's going to be worth keeping an eye on in the next little bit to see you know, does this go anywhere or is this was this just sort of a way to package up this bad news and um mm-hmm. and then just keep keep going on the same on the same path? You know what would be interesting if Apple um, manages to get their HomeKit act together. Uh imagine <laughs> if imagine if they they create some kind of standard for you know manufacturers of speakers. Um and there's like a specification to have Siri built into the speakers. So they open up the standard for the type of microphone that they want to use or, you know, other technical specs that manufacturers have to follow. So in the same way that you currently can have, you know, different types of thermostats or uh, different types of sensors, you could buy one of these, uh, you know, Siri speakers. Uh, They're not made by Apple, but they use HomeKit and Siri technology to let you ask things of course that you know hinges upon the the premise that siri should be good enough and that uh you know homekit should be more reliable and you know faster uh it's it's interesting sort of like a mix of of uh, homekit and maybe the made for iphone specification uh because i don't see apple making a speaker in the near future but maybe you know if they're observing this kind of trend of uh, the convenience of siri in the home uh, with the speaker that plays music and does other things, it would be interesting to see that kind of product. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think it's going to be a really exciting 
category of devices over the next couple of years. Um, uh, of course, there's like the elephant in the room, like what if Siri shows up in a box? But even even if Apple doesn't enter this race, like there's lots of interesting stuff to keep an eye on. So I think it's going to be fun. And you get you one of these speakers, Mike. You'll be all set. I've been too busy registering all things pizza. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, I've registered it. It goes. It points to real FM. Which one? At pizza? No, all things pizza. Uh, all things pizza. <laughs> Perfect. So the DNS yeah. is propagating, but uh, that exists. No, now. yeah, no, it works for me. That's amazing. All things pizza. Uh, pizza uh, hover says you have to make an offer. So yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. That's why I went for all things. All things pizza. What's next, Mike? So continuing the discussion of audio apps, I just wanted to take a moment to talk about Overcast 2.5 because there's a couple of features in there that I really love. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Marco is a friend, but I am a big fan of Overcast. It is the app that I use every day. Um, and he's looked at a bunch of great things as like, you know, he's he's looking at trying to make this uh, sound better when you're listening for a speaker and all that sort of stuff. We've linked to his blog post. It's in the show notes so you can go and get it. But my two favorite things uh, in Overcast 2.5 are patron features. So if you if you support uh, Overcast through patronage, you can get access to a dark mode, which I adore. It's uh, It basically turns all the UI like a dark gray and blue. Uh, which looks especially good when you're listening to Under the Radar. The colors seem yep. to match perfectly. Uh, it also looks really good with Cortex, and as such, uh, Marco's using Cortex when the kind of the PR pictures, which is nice, but it does look good together. Um, and also the file uploads feature. Um, it's great for two things. So file uploads, has I've been using it for a couple of months now, and I'm really happy to say that I like it. Um, <laughs> it's good for me as a podcast producer, especially if I'm putting something like chapters into an episode, which I do every now and then. I like to check that they work properly. So I upload the, the finalized episode to the uploads feature, um, and then I can test it in the app. Um, and I also put... Uh, things like audiobooks in there and stuff like that it's it really is good like i'm listening to an audiobook in overcast right now because of that has to have no drm on it um that happens however that happens uh but it's it's excellent um i really love those two features and if you're an overcast user i strongly recommend becoming a patron to get access to both of those things because i think they're excellent also the dark theme the dark mode uses the san francisco font uh, which is it just makes overcast look very different um and but i do really like it so i think you should go and check it out and there'll be uh, some links in the show notes to go and read more about it including federico's lovely review uh which also features some beautiful podcast artwork throughout mm-hmm. there you go overcast 25 cool. go get it all right should we take a break it's yes. it. this week's episode is brought to you by our friends over at igloo who create the intranet you'll actually like. Now, what does that mean? So why will you like Igloo's intranet over any other intranet product that you've used? Well, for one, Igloo allows you to work anywhere you want, and they do this by harnessing the power of responsive web design. So with Igloo, everything is online, it's all on the web, your intranet is accessible to you from every device that you own, and it's going to look great on all of them, your phone, your tablet, your laptop, your PC your Mac, whatever it is that you've got a screen and a connection to the internet, you'll be able to access Igloo. You'll be able to manage your task lists, you'll be able to access versions of files, and you'll even be able to update your colleagues with their status update features and stuff like that.
that. These days, everything is mobile. Your work should be too, and Igloo believes in this. Their platform is built on that notion. Talking about being mobile, people like to scatter their documents these days amongst the platforms that they like, and there are so many of them, like Box, Google Drive, and Dropbox. These apps are great because they let you store things, and they let you open them up in other apps and stuff like that. But the problem with putting these putting secure files, business files, into these services is that you can end up in a scenario where there could be some sort of security breach or you know you could just be breaching a company's agreement with you by allowing people to have it on their own personal um, storage systems you know that is something that i know from working in a big corporation can be tricky so to combat this igloo allows you to integrate those services into their igloo platform so you can still have all of the great security of igloo and keeping your customers happy with their 256-bit encryption single sign-on and active directory integrations but you can also integrate with those fantastic applications and put them all together in a nice little package um, in their easy to secure platform but this isn't it for document stuff Igloo's built their own document collaboration as well. So you can upload documents to Igloo, people can comment on them, and you can all collaborate on them. And the great thing is that they have red receipts built in. So if you have some kind of HR document everybody needs to read, you can upload it to Igloo, and you can see who has looked at it. It's time to break away from the internet you hate. Create an internet that looks fantastic with their beautiful customization. You can make everything look and feel exactly how you want. Go and sign up for Igloo right now and you can try it out for free with any team of up to 10 people for as long as you want. So there's nothing stopping you. Go to igloosoftware.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Igloo for their continued support of this show and all things.pizza. Hmm. You're just really running with that, aren't you? Why not? I mean, I've got the, I've maybe got another half an hour for it to be funny, so I'm just going to keep going with it. There you go. It's my turn to talk um, after listening to you guys talk about home speakers, um, which are not so interesting to me. I'll tell you what is interesting to me. Android. Android is interesting to me. And uh, last week, uh, to everybody's surprise, Google dropped the first developer preview of Android N, the next version of Android, which will be fully unveiled at Google I.O. with more additional features. But out of the blue, they dropped Android N. And Android N has a couple of things in it which are improvements for developers and improvements for uh, the users. And one of the things that I want to talk about, because this is something we talk about all the time on this show these days, is split screen. So Google have now built split screen into Android. It didn't exist previously as a, as a core pure Android feature. Some other uh, OEMs like Samsung have built it into their own um, in their own custom software, their own custom skins on top of uh, Android, their forks, as you may say. But uh, it has never been in Google's version. So I want to kind of talk to you guys about this because I think it's a few interesting things. There's a few interesting design decisions that Google have made um, which contrast with Apple. So one thing is it's available everywhere, phones and tablets. So this is an interesting decision uh, because, I mean, I have a, a Nexus 6P here, which is the screen is about as big as the, the iPhone uh, 6 Plus. So I was wondering, like, is it that useful on a phone? And... One of the things that I've found from using an iPad more frequently, Federico, you can confirm if you feel this way as well, is there mm. are just times every now and then where I wish I could look at two apps on my iPhone side by side just to check something. Not yeah. to work in the same way that I do on my iPad, but there are just things that happen. I'm like, I wish I could see two things at once. Do you ever feel that? 
Sometimes, sometimes, especially with Twitter, <laughs> yes. Yeah, there are times where I'm doing something and I just want to be able to look at two apps at once. Like maybe I'm looking at something in an email and I need to check a spreadsheet, right? And, and I don't want to work like that a lot on my iPhone, uh, but there are times where I'd want it. And that's what you get here with this Android N split screen stuff. So the way that you do it is quite interesting as well. You open an application, then you long press on the multitasking button and it cuts the screen in half um, and then you can choose another application and you can look at them side by side. You can adjust it with a little slider in the middle, very similar to iOS. And then you can also turn your phone into landscape um, and look at the two apps side by side. And in landscape, it works a lot better and you just have kind of two tiny apps side by side to each other. So it's definitely useful, I think. I think that there is some utility there. And I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that this is something that we might see on the iPhone at some point in the future. But one of the reasons I find this implementation very interesting is Google are forcing this on all apps, pretty much. There are a few exceptions that I've found. Some games won't work. But developers haven't had to do anything specific to allow for this to occur. So... This is very different to Apple, and I think that this implementation, the implementation routes that both of these companies decided, really kind of show their difference, right? Google will take universal support over a little bit of weirdness, because some apps do break and crash in places. But Apple will take less overall support for a feature for a better experience where it does work. And I don't know what the right approach is. Yeah, I've thought a lot about that, and it it is interesting to me to see like we're seeing the downside of Apple's approach a little bit right now where apps that so many people depend on and love and use every day maybe not love no one actually loves google docs um that that users are stuck right but then you're also seeing the downside of google's approach where some things right now might be broken or weird or not work you know quite correctly so i don't think either one necessarily like bulletproof as far as issues but i do think from the platform perspective i think android's approach may be a little bit better because it brings the whole platform forward together you know you're not going to run into something major that doesn't major that doesn't support the feature because everything supports the feature out of the box and it's um i mean you're right it is, it is a different approach i think I think even Apple has treated the Mac and iOS differently in this regard, that they will do things on OS X like Time Machine or, or um, in OS X Lion, they changed the way Save As works for God knows why. And that was just the way it worked, right? The system changed, and so your app changed with it. And on iOS, Apple has been much more conservative, saying, hey, you know, even with iOS 7, we have this new design. You're not even going to get the keyboard until you build against iOS 7, right? The very very conservative approach to make sure that third-party apps remain stable uh, or as stable as possible uh, under Apple's watch. So I'm not, I'm not sure which way is right. I think from the platform perspective, uh, Google and the way Apple treats OS 10 is probably better, but I think from the, uh, from the stability and the, um, you know, perceived quality standpoint that the way iOS does it may be better. So that's probably, you know, just kind of pick your poison. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is, right? And and as I say, I think it speaks a lot to those to the different companies and the way that they work. 
But I've got to say, the ability to know that the majority of my apps are just going to work like that is great. And like this isn't an accident. Um, part of the way that Android has been built for a long time is with these size classes, which Apple has adopted more recently. Uh, and that's why it works like this, because so many applications have already started to adopt this because it's just the way Android works because of all the different screen sizes anyway. Right. So it's not like it was an accident. This has been a long time coming. So now this is kind of just one of the results of that. Um, but it's it is very interesting. There's a couple of other things that I really like about this. So, well, one, Google Docs works. Right. So I have that in split screen. This is something you'll like, Federico. You can have multiple Chrome tabs side by side. Hmm. That's Be nice. Because Chrome tabs from Android M uh, they became like when you look at multitasking, instead of seeing Chrome as just one uh, app, it shows you every single tab as well in the multitasking view. So it breaks them down. So you could look, say you were on the allthings.pizza website, then you went to Slack to tell your friends how awesome it was, and then you opened another Chrome tab. When you open multitasking, they will be stacked chronologically like that. So I initially didn't like that change. I thought that that was kind of weird um, to say that like Chrome... Uh, tabs are as important individually as apps but now when i look at a change like this i'm like oh no that makes sense because now that has enabled the ability to look at two chrome tabs side by side which is something that you know i have to kind of hack around that on ios by looking using two browsers which is kind of strange um here's another thing that you're going to like federico you can drag and drop data including text yeah, I saw that. So how does that uh, work in practice? So I was just playing around with it then. I opened a Twitter client and a Slack client, and I wrote out a message. I highlighted the message and just held the text for a moment, and then I could just drag it to another text input window. It's pretty simple. It worked That's exactly nice. as you'd want. I didn't have to try and look up anything to see how that worked. It just worked the way I expected that it would. Nice. I yeah. mean, That's gonna, that's, that has to happen on iOS eventually. Yeah. So this is my feeling, right? This is very early, right? Which is why there's some of it that are a bit wonky. But the fact that it works so well now is a credit to Google um, and the way that they've built their operating system and thinking about these things. And there are a couple of features in here that I really hope that Apple adopt for uh, for iOS 10. But it, it's, it works surprisingly well. And I think that it's very interesting. And... and uh, I have wanted to for a while to maybe like do a little switch to Android experiment again. And as I've mentioned, I think on this show, one of my issues was use, using a tablet. But now all the tablet apps will be a split screen too. So that might make it a bit easier if I do decide to do this. Um, something that makes this stuff easier uh, for people like me, like installing Android N, is for the first time now, uh, Google is allowing over-the-air install and updates for um the developer betas previously you had to like plug it into the to a computer and run a bunch of commands that terrified me and i always got wrong even though android developers tell me it's really easy it's terrifying for someone like me now all you need to do is just go to the developer portal it shows you what devices are linked to your account and you just say i would like to install on that one you check for a software update and it installs it's very easy to do actually kind nice. of easier than apple's new way of doing it as well you don't <laughs> You don't download a little profile. You, you just log on and it's like, oh, we know that this is a phone attached to your account. Would you like to install the beta on it? And you say yes. That, nice. I like that. That was really nice. Uh, they've redesigned the notifications tray. Um, I'm still trying to get my head around this. One thing that they're enabling is quick replies now, which has obviously been in iOS for a little bit. Um, this is a new thing. 
for them. I think it might have been in the Hangouts app previously, but that was the only one that had it, so you couldn't reply from notifications. Uh, they're doing bundling of notifications as well now, so if you have a bunch of Slack messages, they bundle them up into one, and then you can kind of tap to expand them. Um, I actually think that's quite nice, because now when I look at my notification screen, it's a lot cleaner. Um, they're doing their own version of Control Center, which is pretty cool. So in the notifications tray now, you can pull down very quickly and there's a bunch of buttons. So I have Wi-Fi, battery, uh, do not disturb and flashlight, but you can customize those. You can drag and re drop the order around and, and drop in whatever you want to be the quick actions, which is great. And they have a bunch of them. Uh, like I can have Bluetooth enabled. I can enable hotspot. I can enable airplane mode. That can all be customized because that's what Android's all about. Um, you know, I, I got an email just last night about my control center article from January. Mm -hmm. People are really mad about that. Well, but I think I think Android is it better. It, it, is, it. it is doing it better. Apple fans. Yep. Sorry to say. Um, and then the main other thing that they're talking about, which I don't know too much about, is additions to what um, Google call Doze. Um, and Doze is a system to try and reduce battery life drain. So uh, when you're when your your phone is basically doing some stuff in the background, you know, like the refresh and stuff like we have on, uh, what is that called on iOS now? Uh, the battery saving mode. Low power mode? Low power mode. So it's basically that, go. but they try and do more of it constantly to reduce the drain of the battery over time and it tries to work out your patterns of using it, is my understanding. So they're doing more there. Um, and Google is promising more announcements and more exciting things for N uh, IO. So... I think it's pretty cool. I think it's cool that they've announced it now. I'm, I'm using it on my 6P. It's very stable. Um, and I think there's a few interesting things there. Uh, I like to keep my eye on what Google's doing. And I think that this is a, an interesting development. So there's my Android segment. The closest I can get to imagining split screen on the iPhone is uh, reachability. Remember that feature? Yeah, I, I, I still use it sometimes to access the notification uh, tray thing. Yeah, me too. I'm trying to imagine if maybe, you know, uh, having two apps on the iPhone with that ki kind of gesture would make sense. I don't know. The idea of split screen on the iPhone sounds odd to me initially, but I can I can totally understand why, why you like it. You know, it's I guess it's difficult to imagine that because as we're still thinking of iPhones as, you know, you do one thing at a time type of yeah. devices. But instead, a lot of people are using their iPhones as, you know, computers. People do spreadsheets. People do, uh, you know, they write essays or blog posts on an iPhone. So it's, it's not ridiculous to say, well, I would like to see multitasking on an iPhone, you know? It's, I I don't I don't know if Apple likes this type of approach, but it, especially after you know listening to you, it makes sense. I have to say, it makes sense to me. Yeah, so I don't think that you would want to do this a lot, right? But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there is benefit to being able to check something quickly. Um, yeah, maybe this could be something that just exists on la the larger of the phones because um, it makes more sense there. No, um, who knows? Probably, who knows yeah, want to do it. Like, uh, I mean, that's how landscape support is now, right? It's only yeah. on the plus. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see them if they doing it, if they do it, do it that way. Where hey, this is we're already treating the plus a little bit differently. Already does some iPad sort of like things, and um, and yeah, I, I agree with you guys. It's not something I want to dive into every day, but um, I could see it being useful to from time to time just to get something done real quick. All right, bring us back to Apple stuff. 
Okay. So I, I spent some time this week thinking about the Mac, as I often do. I go <clears throat> into my into my hammock and I think about the Mac just for hours. And uh, I kind of came up with three things that I think it would be interesting to see Apple bring back to the Mac. And that's, of course, borrowing a phrase from a, an Apple event several years ago. But um, I came up with three things that as I've used um, my iPad Pro more and as the iPad has sort of eaten into uh, some categories of work that I do, some things that I would like to see to see on the Mac. The Mac is still my main machine. I don't see that changing anytime soon. But there are things on iOS that, that I think OS X could benefit from. And uh, one of them, and I think the, the one that is the easiest solve is actually a third-party app called Helium that basically does this, is picture-in-picture. And so as I, you know, I write a lot of these like Apple history things, write scripts for videos. Um, I will be watching a video often on YouTube and be taking notes on it or finding other links that I need, you know, to read and, and sort of gathering information as I write. And it's, it's funny how that has really moved to the iPad because of picture in picture. So I can open up, you know, a video on YouTube and I can send it to corner tube, which Federica pointed me to. And uh, I can get picture in picture, so I can have the video playing. I can have one writer with my notes, and I can have uh, Safari open, gathering links as I go. And doing that on the Mac feels really old-fashioned all of a sudden because YouTube is locked away in the in a browser tab, right? And um, I've always gotten around it by having a YouTube video either in another browser or another browser window, so I can switch between it and my working tabs. But it feels like constrained somehow. So anyways, Helium is a cool app. We'll put a link in the show notes to it. Um, that if you're looking for picture-in-picture on the Mac, a bunch of people on Twitter pointed me to it. It's free on the App Store. You basically paste in a uh, very much like corner tube on iOS. You you feed it a video link, and then it basically just plays the video itself with no other Chrome, just in a, in a floating window, very much like QuickTime does. It's a clever little app. Um, I think it's a nice... Um, it's like a, a good example of something in the Mac App Store that does one thing really well and is um, just, you know, super, super simple. The other two were a little more um, a little more technical. The, the second one is UIKit, which uh, you may be familiar with, is basically the um, front-end framework used by most iOS developers. It's what um, something like Overcast uses to build its interface. That's very high level. Uh, on the Mac, they use AppKit, which is much older. Um, AppKit it has its roots way back in NextUp um, 100 years ago. And uh, they, they spoke about this on a recent episode of Under the Radar, um, that this is a, a hurdle for an iOS developer to bring something to the Mac. They can't reuse much of their front-end code. That they You have to sort of refactor everything using the, the tool set that AppKit gives you. And clearly UIKit can't just be ported directly, right? UIKit is built all around touch. You don't have touch on the Mac. But I do think that there's an opportunity here for Apple to make it easier for iOS developers to bring their apps um, back to the Mac. And this is something we've spoken about a lot. We spoke about just a couple weeks ago um, with that, you know, Mac OS X as a dead platform comment that the third-party ecosystem for, for Mac software um, is slower and perhaps slowing down compared to the iPhone and even the iPad. And you look at something like, um, well, you keep using Overcast as an example, that has an iOS app. It's great on the iPhone. It's good on the iPad. There's a web component. 
But a lot of people, I know Casey Liss has talked about this for a long time, would like it on the Mac. I would like it on the Mac. And uh, there's a uh, a hurdle there that you know may not be worth it. Uh, clearly, in market estimation, it's not worth it yet. And I think that that is something that may change. I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but could be different if UI Kit um, were to to come to OS ten. Um, now, Federico, you spend obviously a lot of time talking with iOS developers, covering iOS apps. Um, I mean, what are some other examples that you guys have of like, is there an iOS app you guys would just love to have on the Mac? I mean, Federico may be your bad example, but um, <laughs> uh, like, I, I think this is something people want. Like, there are like iOS apps that are great um, that would be nice on the Mac. I mean, they look at Fantastical, which, like, in my opinion, at least is the best calendar app on iOS, just bar none. And it's great on the Mac. And I'm sure that was not an easy process to build a full-blown Mac calendar uh, application, even though they had years of experience doing it on mobile. Um, I don't know. What, do you guys think that this is like, could this make a difference? Is it, is it worth Apple even investing in this? I think it would definitely allow some developers to create Mac versions of their iOS apps. And I'm looking at my iPhone's home screen right now. Um, something like, you know, Spark or uh, Editorial even. Uh, you know, there's a, a Reddit client that I really like. It's called Narwhal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's many, many iOS apps that don't have a Mac version. And I would say, not necessarily because it wouldn't make sense on the Mac, just because it would require building a completely different architecture and, you know, a different app at every level. And so for some developers, I think it would definitely help in transitioning over to the Mac and even bringing a functional version of the same app. Maybe isn't as, you know, pro-looking as more advanced desktop apps, but it doesn't have to be because, you know, having a basic version that runs on the Mac and respects some of the Mac's basic uh, UI principles would make sense. And then I, I feel like there's some instances where iOS apps can only run on iOS and would only make sense on iOS. Uh, you know, apps that use the gyroscope or apps that use the camera or apps that are based on location services, apps that require, you know, multi-touch in a different way. Some of those apps, even with the, with the, you know, framework unification across iOS and macOS, uh, I feel like wouldn't be possible on, on, on the Mac without, you know, a major rewrite anyway. So I guess what I would like to see is, I agree with you. I think there there should be a way to use UIKit on the desktop because for some basic apps that don't have fancy iPhone features, um, I would like to have those apps on the Mac as well. Or at least I would like to know that there's a way for developers to easily bring them over to the Mac. Mm-hmm. But some other apps, I feel like even with the framework unification, they wouldn't make much sense on the Mac because of the unique iPhone and, and iPad features. I think as someone who, like for me, the most valuable tools that I use are cross-platform. So something like OmniFocus or, um, you know, something like Reader even or, or, or the RSS service I use behind it. Something that I can get to my data anywhere I sit down to work. And I think that... Um, that UIKit could help with that. It's, it's clearly not uh, a silver bullet, right? There's still lots of issues with um, 
you know, is it worth the developer's time? Can they make the money back? Do they, you know, have to deal with the Mac app store? A lot of people don't want to do that. Um, but, uh, it's, I think it would open doors that aren't open right now. And that was sort of, sort of my point. Uh, the, the last of the three things I mentioned was all flash storage and, you know, you can still go today, the Mac mini, the iMac, and then of course the 13 inch MacBook pro, the old one that's still for sale, um, comes with spinning hard drives or fusion drives. And, um, the, I tangled with some people yesterday about the fusion drive thing and writing a big follow-up post, but my basic gist of this was like way back in 2010 when Apple redid the MacBook Airs actually, you know, announced those at this back to the Mac event. So much of that design was built around solid state storage. And the MacBook Air was really for a lot of people, myself included, the first time I really used an SSD and it brought flash storage and notebooks to the masses in a way that, that no one else really had. And here we are six years later, and basically you can still get a spinning hard drive and a bunch of machines. And if you get an iMac, you have to deal with the the 5400 RPM drive, which are terribly slow. And it it really is crazy to me that Apple hasn't moved the the ball forward uh with this yet and and you know there's a lot of benefits to fusion drives like i went into it in an article yesterday like it's great if you have small amounts of data or it's great if you want speed uh but also a lot of capacity without spending a thousand dollars on a you know a huge ssd from apple because apple's ssd pricing are way out of line that they need to revisit that but my point in this was you know the the mac experience is so much better if you're running from flash storage uh, and that comes from iOS. I mean, in that event, he was like, what happens if a MacBook and an iPad got it on? Well, you get a, a MacBook Air. Like that's an actual quote from Steve Jobs. I actually said it on stage. It's <laughs> crazy. Um, and, uh, you know, the things like instant on and crazy standby life. I mean, before this, if you had a, a spinning hard disk machine and you put it to sleep, um, you know, you, you want to get great standby life. Now we get just weeks and weeks and weeks on these machines because this solid state uh, technology allows the entire system to be much more modern. And it just, it kills me. Like you can go buy a new 27 inch 5k retina iMac and get a spinning disc in it. And it's just, um, it's a subpar experience for what I think is the flagship Mac. You know, I think that that retina machine is, is the pinnacle of Mac design to this point. And, uh, to cripple it with a spinning hard drive today in 2016 is just is just bananas. And yes, there's cost issues. You know, I think more important than cost issues to Apple is the margin issue. Like they could do this and they could keep the prices where they are, but they would eat into their margin, which they don't want to do. And I think that it's another example of like if Apple either was willing to charge a little bit more or willing to eat it a little bit more, they could have products that are a much better experience. And um, so I don't know. It's some stuff I've been thinking about. I think that. Obviously, the next couple of weeks are going to be really focused on iOS with some new devices. I'm, you know, hoping for some Skylake MacBook Pros, but, um, you know, the Mac is uh, is uh, the back seat now, and um, I accept that and understand that. But I, I still think that there's room for Apple to make investments in it. So, yeah, the Fusion Drive thing is one thing, right? Because it's at least some solid state. Um, but the fact that you, there are just flat out 
hard drives, spinning disks in brand new Macs in new lines seems crazy. Like, I understand why it might exist in that 13-inch MacBook Pro, right? That that weird old MacBook Pro with the optical disc in it. Because it's just mm-hmm. like, look, that machine just needs to be as cheap as possible for the type of people that need to buy that. But a new computer introduced, like the 27-inch 5K, it just... You, you, there's so much amazing technology in that machine. Why would you put a spinning hard disk in it? Like, it just seems... It just seems crazy. It really doesn't seem like a smart thing to do. Like, if somebody wants to do it, like, I think that should be an option, right? Like, it comes with 512 or whatever, and then you can put a one terabyte hard disk in it if you really want to. But as a as a starting configuration, it seems just uh, wasteful of all the power mm-hmm. that you're going to get from that machine. Uh, I, I, I totally agree, because you're going to be hamstrung by that disk I.O., and... It's um, I mean, I think clearly it's about the cost. You know, I think there's a a school of thought that these Retina machines are more expensive for Apple to build, but they didn't want to mess with the price points too much, and so they're already eating into their margin a little bit, which is maybe why they've done this. Um, on the smaller Fusion drives, you, the SSD portion is actually much smaller than it used to be, which is lame. And um, so I think they're just struggling to hit those percentages they want, but I would argue that maybe. There are more important things than 30% margin on an iMac. I agree. All right. In lieu of a second sponsor this week, um, I just want to talk very briefly about the Relay FM membership. So, we would really appreciate it if you help support this show by becoming a member of Relay FM. Uh, you can go to relay.fm/slash membership to find out more. If you enjoy this show, uh, you can consider supporting this show directly with a monthly or annual membership. You'll get some lovely perks like our monthly newsletter which Stephen puts together and is uh, is excellent. I like reading it every month. Uh, but you'll also be helping us continue to make this show, right? We have advertisers that's going to continue to be the way that we work, but this is another way that does actually really help us. Um, so thank you so much to everyone that has signed up. And if you're able to, thank you if you decide to become a member of Relay FM too. I would really appreciate it if you did. But if you can't, it's also fine. But you can go to relay.fm slash membership to find out more. So I realized today that uh, basically this show has been three pet topics. So I spoke about Android, Stephen spoke about the Mac, <laughs> and now Federico gets to talk about text editors. Yes. So just quickly, because I, I presume this is going to be a recurring theme over the next few weeks, if you guys don't mind. It's text editor corner with Federico. Yes. Um, so just a quick update. The last weekend... Uh, Steven, Mike, and I have a Slack room, a Slack channel where we talk, we plan the show. And I, and I was having a crisis over the weekend uh, because uh, the, this new app, uh, Ulysses, is that how you say it, Ulysses? Uh, Ulysses is how I would say Ulysses. it. It feels, like a, it feels like a close to Italian word anyway, so you probably... It's much will. better. It's much better in Italian, Ulysse. See? Oh, there um, you go. Why are you even saying it any other way? <laughs> uh, you know, because I don't get to decide. Well, now <laughs> anyway, you can. Uh, On this show, you say it the way that you say it that I can't say. Should I really say Ulisse? Ulisse? No, yeah. come on. No, no let's come do on. It. Uh, Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I was having a crisis because uh, uh, Ulysses came out and, uh, and I was intrigued. Um, 
but I was also at the stage where I had something like five or six text editors on my iPhone and iPad, because I, as connected listeners know, I've been trying to get a, a modern uh, opinion of all of them. So I was talking to Mike and Steve, and I was like, what should I do? Because uh, each one of these apps has a feature that I like. An editorial uh, came out with a new beta for iOS 9 and the iPad Pro. And I was really struggling to understand what it is that I actually need. So I sent Mike and Steven a series of uh, screenshots over a few minutes of me... It was really sad. Of, <laughs> of me deleting every single text editor from my iPhone, except <laughs> editorial. Because I was sure that I was going to use just editorial. Uh, that's what I've always used, despite, you know, my my absence from editorial for the past few months. I was I liked the idea the idea of going back home, you know, I'm back with editorial. And and for a couple of days I was I was okay, I was fine. And then I realized uh I was preparing an article about um Actually, two articles. I was writing one about Overcast, which came out yesterday, and I was preparing an article about Spotify, uh, because I've, I've been trying Spotify again, so I, I was starting to put together some ideas. And I realized, often, when I, when I think of, uh, you know, articles, they start from a couple of notes and a few screenshots. So I take a screenshot of a feature of a feature or maybe of a change in, in an app. And that starts as kind of my angle for the story, you know, my starting point. But too often I lose track of those screenshots because the Photos app doesn't let me organize, you know, screenshots besides albums and, you know, likes. So often I take these screenshots and eventually I forget about them. I don't know why I took them and I lose the, the, the idea that I wanted to base the article upon. So I realized, uh, you know what what app lets me uh, attach items to documents? Well, that's Ulysses. So I I uh, this is a couple of days after I deleted the app from my device, and uh, and I realized, well, you know, maybe I was I was too quick to judge. You know, maybe, maybe I should <laughs> actually try it. So I I downloaded the app back again on my iPhone and iPad. And I and I, and I try to use it for Mac stories and for Club Mac stories. And initially, it was very difficult to accept some of the unique things in Ulysses. Uh, the first one is it doesn't have Dropbox Sync; it only uses iCloud. But again, a lot of people were like, you know, iCloud Sync in Ulysses is super solid. Never, never been a problem for me. Uh, the other problem was. Uh, it doesn't use standard markdown um, when you create articles or, you know, as the app calls them, sheets, which are like documents. It uses this special version of markdown, which is called Markdown Excel, which is like a fork of a standard markdown. It's got a couple of different things uh, with the formatting and the way that you insert links and footnotes in a, in a document. So... Uh, those two issues were practical and also problems on principle because I don't like the idea of not using a standard or not using Dropbox. But I, I guess I just was too into the idea of having attachments, having notes in a document 
being able to take images out of my photos app and into the text editor that I started using it um and I went you know I went a little nuts about it um it was late at night um it was like 4 a.m. I was playing around with Ulysses and uh, I realized that I could install um custom fonts in the app and I've always liked um you know um IA writer uh, uses a font called uh, Nitty mm-hmm. and uh, this Nitty font which I really really like um is not available for free and it's like 200 euros uh, to buy so it was late at night uh, I was like in in, in sort of a text editing fugue state so I went <laughs> online and I bought the font family oh, my oh God. no <laughs> and everyone again we go through this time and time again and you guys say that I'm the one who has a No, hold on. This was for productivity, Mike. No, um, it, it didn't make you more productive. <laughs> I, I'm a, it was yes, it does. Aesthetic. It's it purely makes aesthetic. my No, it makes my eyes no, better. Incorrect. It makes Okay, well, whatever. So I, I went I online. I went online, I bought the font family and I used uh, any font on iOS to install the font. Then I went on my Mac because you can only create custom themes for Ulysses on the Mac. And I created a, a, a theme that sort of resembles a tutorial uh, and also uses, you know, different colors to highlight uh, different types of markdown syntax. So I got like blue links, yellow images, red footnotes, which I feel like really helps, helps me with the editing you know, in the editing mm-hmm. stage because it lets me catch different items more quickly instead of having like every single item is highlighted in blue while each one has a different color now which is nice so with the custom theme with the custom preview for you know the max stories html uh the custom font i can i came up with a really nice you know environment i really like it and i've been so i set up groups for max stories articles max stories linked uh, items and club Maxoris stuff for the newsletter. I've been using it for like a week at this point, maybe five, six days actually. In uh, in what what do you call it? Production purposes. Yeah. I came up with a few workflows to uh, publish to WordPress to um, save a draft to Dropbox as a like a second backup just to make sure. And you know it's. It's nice. It's fine. iCloud Sync is awesome. Uh, it actually works. And, you know, I save drafts to Dropbox, so, you know, peace of mind. I'm okay. Um, and the editing tools in Ulysses are actually very nice. I know that on principle, I shouldn't like a non-standard plain text fork of Markdown. But in practice, it's really nice. You know, adding footnotes is faster. Uh, adding links is faster. Um, and actually, you know, when editing uh, URLs get out of the way because you have to double tap a link to show the uh, the actual link. So, you know, the, the document is not cluttered with all these links. Um, there's a bunch of toolbars that you can use. There's menus, shortcuts. It's very nice on the iPad Pro. Uh, and I think, um, you know, I actually like it. Uh, the separation of um, different types of documents in groups helps me you know feel more organized 
that makes sense. So when I'm in the Club Mac Stories group, I only see Club Mac Stories stuff. So it's easier to see all the content coming to a Mac Stories weekly issue, for example. When I'm in the Mac Stories group, I can see all my linked items. I can see all my the articles that I'm working on. It's nice. Uh, now, I know that I'm always going to need editorial to be installed because of the more complex automation. I mean, I use editorial to generate my invoices for, you know, for the business. I use editorial to manage MacStories deals, to, 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 to put together the price drops and to tweet app discounts. So I'll, I'll always need editorial for these advanced things. But I feel like Ulysses for for writers, for people who write and to organize writing, it's not terrible. It's actually pretty great. And now this is, you know, the, the stage where I'm at. This is what's going on right now. And I'll, uh, I will keep you guys posted, I guess. This is intriguing. I've been looking at it in the App Store every now and then. And, I, and I'm just trying out editorial again. Because I don't do a lot of writing, but I do... I do quite a, I do like, you know, the scripts and stuff, like our ad scripts and stuff like that. Um, and they're all written in Markdown. So I like to have a good app for it. But this this custom flavor of Markdown uh, turns me off a little bit, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand. Like, I only kind of remember it, right? Because I don't use it enough. That I'm like, the things that I know, I, I know them now. I've learned them. Yeah, like, the, I know how to make a list. I know how to make something bold, italics, and a link. Like, they just know those things. That's really the same. The, that syntax is the same. Uh, it's just some differences for, like, footnotes. But what really matters is oh. that when you, when you export a document and you choose, I want to export as Markdown, you get the standard plain text Markdown. So it's just when you write, because they want you to save time, the syntax is a little different, but not for italics, not for lists, huh, okay. uh, just for links and footnotes, really. Um, um, but when you export, even those custom things go back to the standard way, so you can use the Markdown in any app. And that's why I use Workflow, because I can export as Markdown. It gets the normal Markdown plain text, and then I used my workflow to go to WordPress. Uh, but yeah, I understand why some people don't like the idea. And I totally understand why some people are put off by the iCloud-only sync. I don't understand if the team is working on Dropbox support, because on the Mac, you can add a Dropbox folder. On iOS, you cannot. I don't understand if they plan to, or if it's only going to be a Mac-only feature. But you know what also makes me optimistic about this is that it's a it's a small team it's 11 people they only do this for a living they've been around for a few years and i mean if they don't make the app they basically don't eat which is you know very sad to think about but it also makes me optimistic about the future of the app um you know as long as these people want to live there's going to be this app so you know that's that's a i guess a good point um we'll see i don't know the thing that attracts me is it is it's very beautiful. It is. It looks nice. Uh, you can make any kind of custom theme. You can switch to dark mode. Um, it's you know, it looks very nice. Oh, you're gonna make me spend money. I don't know. Uh, Just wait. Wait a couple more weeks. Then right. we'll, we'll decide whether uh, you have you have to spend money. Okay, I can live with that. That's okay? good because okay. I need to buy it everywhere, right? Which I'm happy to do is because it's priced. It's priced well, but it's yes. not. You know, it's not throwaway money. It's for me. It's thirty-five pounds on the Mac and yeah. fifteen pounds on iOS. You know? Yeah. So we'll see. All right, great. 
So uh, next week, next week's episode will be obviously uh, reflecting on the Apple event, which is happening on the 21st. So we will be a day or so removed from that. So we'll be able to talk a little bit in detail as to what happened at the Apple event. Uh, is everybody excited? I'm kind of excited. I feel like I'll be more excited actually on Monday next week. Yeah, I think I fall in the same same boat. I mean, we'll be buying a phone uh, for a family member, and that's probably about it. Yeah, we're well, hoping for some Mac stuff, right? Like, I'm interested to so. see what happens to the laptops. Um, yeah, I wouldn't remind mind replacing my MacBook Pro with something smaller and lighter for when I do need it. Uh, I just mm-hmm. want it to to have the most minimum impact possible. So I'll be excited to see if anything like that happens next week. I think it's going to be an event with a lot of stuff, but none of it kind of really astronomical. But we'll be able to see what that's like next week. So you want to tune in and make sure that you uh, go check out our show notes this week. You can head to allthings.pizza slash connected slash (laughs) 82. It will take you there. I checked it. Uh, It will work. Um, If you want to find us online, head on over to 5topixels.net for Stephen Hackett, maxstories.net for Federico Vitici, and we're all on Twitter. Uh, Federico is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Stephen is at I-S-M-H. I am at I-Mike, I-M-Y-K-E. And the show is at underscore connected FM. Thank you so much to Igloo for sponsoring this week's episode. Thank you to all of you who help support this show directly. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.